0: School might be out for the summer, but let's study up on what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our series, Christianity 101, from the book of 1 John. If you have your Bibles um, this morning, turn with me um, to once again to the book of 1 John as we continue our series of messages from John's first epistle to the church, his first letter to the church. And um, this morning, well, I've entitled this series, uh, as I'll remind us, um Christianity 101, Christianity 101. And our message this morning is found in First John, chapter two, verses 15 through 17. And our message is entitled, What Has Captured Your Heart? What has captured your heart? And we've seen that the Apostle John was writing primarily to second and third generation believers, those who had come to faith through the testimony and the preaching of of others, Um, many who had either seen Jesus for themselves, been under his ministry, or had direct contact with those like John who had had direct contact with Jesus. Um, But these second and third generation believers The Apostle John, he sensed that they needed to be brought back to the basics of the Christian faith and the Christian way of life. And thus, I've said it's almost like he was teaching a class entitled Christianity 101. And today, we're looking at what John teaches us about our relationship, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, our relationship with what he calls the world, and so we're reading this morning again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And John writes these words, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever let's pray father we do ask that you would help us this morning as we look into your word give us ears again i pray give us ears to understand what you want to say to us and hearts ready to receive god we pray i pray this morning just a special anointing upon your word and upon those who hear it today and those who will hear this message even in the days to come and so we thank you for this and in jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. You know, we all know how easily we become attracted to so many things around us. I mean, you're looking through a magazine and you see the advertisements and right away something stirs within you. Or you're walking through the mall or maybe an internet ad pops up as you're doing your work. Or maybe, I don't know, you're on Facebook or something. And we're looking at stuff and we're enamored by what we see, the clothes, the tech stuff, the cars and so forth. It all seems so desirable. I know for uh, for me, listen, I'm not really a big car person, but man, sometimes I see a car drive by like Kim and I saw this morning, one of those muscle cars. And you know what? Something begins to stir within me. I begin to say, man, I wish I could be driving that car. And I wish I had my hands on the steering wheel of that car. You know, for some people, it's about food. You see the way they post all, all their meals when they go out on Facebook. and Or it's about the latest restaurant. For some, it's about pleasure and entertainment, going to the latest concert or sporting event or movie. And for some, it's about success, position, status. The truth is, the fact is, our hearts become so easily filled with desire, for all the things, all the stuff that this world has to offer us. Well, you know, as John continues his letter, writing about the very basics of the Christian faith and lifestyle, he continues to put the believers, the followers of Jesus, to the test. And at this juncture, he deals with the kind of relationship the believers have with the world. For you see, for John, a huge part of the proof as to whether or not someone was truly a follower of Jesus is shown by what it is that has captured their heart. For remember Jesus' words when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, as John uses that Greek word "cosmos," which is the word that we translate as world, as John writes about the world, He's not talking about the people of the world, for we know that God loves all people and so ought we. But when John uses that word world, he's speaking about the systems of our world, systems of a world that is fallen and has been overtaken by sin. He's speaking about the ways in which people who don't know God function, the pursuits and pleasures that are the focal point of such people, the material things of our world that capture our attention and so easily become our gods. The world is that which is part of the darkness that John has already written about. It's a way of life that's outside of the light, the purity, the truth of God. The world is materialism, hedonism, secularism, humanism, any philosophy or way of life that either excludes God, pushes him to the fringes, or draws us away from him. The world is presented in scripture, as one person wrote, as the evil system totally under the grip of the devil. It's a system and a way of life that's godless and empty and at odds with God. Basic to our Christian life is the command that he gives. Do not love the world or anything in the world. That is, do not allow your heart to become so attracted to the things to the things this world has offered. Do not allow yourself to become enticed by the systems of this world. Do not give in to the impulses and the natural desires to live according to the standards of this world. Don't let this world capture your heart, for that would be inconsistent with the life of a true follower of Jesus. You see, John shows us it is inconsistent to call oneself a follower of Christ and yet love the world. And he shows us why for four reasons. The first is this. It is inconsistent to call yourself a follower of Jesus and yet love the world because of all that you've received and all that you've experienced through Christ. Last week we, we read verses 12 through 14. I want to read them for us again, but I know that these words can be a bit puzzling. They're written in poetic form with rhythm and repetition, but they're actually the bridge between what God, what John wrote in the verses that precede that we looked at last week about light and darkness and the claims that, that we make as Christians the bridge between those verses and the verses that we're looking at today. Notice what John writes there. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And notice John writes to three groups of people, which in the end covers all the believers in the church. He writes to the children, the dear children. John's favorite, favorite term for the believers in the church. He writes to the fathers, most likely those who've been in the faith the longest and who have had and those who have influence over others, maybe they've led others into the faith. And he writes to young men, mostly likely the new believers, those who needed a special ounce of encouragement. But notice as he writes to them, he, he kind of lists all that they've received or many of the things they've received or experienced since having come to faith in Christ. Forgiveness of sin, a knowledge of God that is a relationship with him, victory over evil, they overcome the evil one. You are strong, he says. See, these are not just empty claims, but a reality for those who've truly given themselves to God through faith in Jesus, for those who've experienced the reality of Jesus. You see, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus does so much for them. Can you say amen, those of you who know him? Oh, their sins are forgiven. He brings them into relationship with God as their heavenly father. He gives them strength and victory for, for their daily walk. All of life becomes new. Our relationship with God is new. The reality of Jesus, we said at the beginning of this study, the reality of Jesus becomes our reality. Well, let me pause and ask you, has that been true in your life yet? Have you allowed the reality of Jesus, all that he is, all that he's come to do for us, to save us, forgive us, give us hope of eternity? Has his reality become your reality? And all of this being the case, we have to ask, John would ask us, why would we want to give our love back to the world after all that Jesus has done for us? Why would we want to compromise our faith and relationship with God? Why would we give our affections over to that which once kept us kept us separated from God? Why would I go back to that which once led me into sin and away from God? It just doesn't make sense. You know, I think about it this way. Most of you who are out there, you know my wife, Kim. She was at the piano here, the keyboard here once again this morning. We've been married almost 35 years now. August 3rd is our anniversary. It'll be 35 years. And I think back of the kind of relationship we've had. And she's sitting right here to my left. Hi, Kim. I love you. Aren't you going to say you love me back? Oh, there she goes, you know. But I think about all that we've experienced through the years, and the way she's given her love to me, the way she's taken care of me, and we've partnered together, and she's been such a blessing in my life. And I'll say that publicly here this morning. And so as I think about all of that 35 years of marriage and the blessing that we've had of being together, I have to ask myself, how could I ever give my heart to someone else after all the years she's given to me? to help me, to serve me, to love me after all she's done. It just doesn't make sense. In the same way, listen, church, it, it just doesn't make sense. After all that Jesus has done for us, some of us, our relationship is with him is relatively new, but you know Jesus has blessed you and saved you and helped you. Some of us, it's been many, many years, and you can give testimony of how good Jesus has been to you. Listen, and it is just totally inconceivable and inconsistent for one to call themselves a follower of Jesus and to have experienced so much of his grace and his love and his mercy and then to go out and love that from which he has saved us to then love the world. It just doesn't make sense. John would say to us, listen, you cannot love the world because of all that Jesus has done for you. But secondly, he would say, Say that a love for the world is incompatible with a love for God. A love for the world is incompatible with a love for God. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of or for the Father is not in him. That is to love the world as, as we've defined it, is to love that which is opposed to God and which God opposes. But we need to remember that this world is under the, under the influence, under the control of, of the one that the Bible calls the prince of this world. That is the devil, the adversary, Satan. That means that the systems of this world and the things of this world are being used to work against the kingdom of God. They are God's enemies. For this world functions in such a way so as to always minimize God and maximize itself. So that even the potentially good things we have and things, many things that in and of themselves are quite neutral. They get turned around. They're so quickly and so easily used for evil and in opposition of the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about the Internet. I mean, we are so thankful for the Internet this morning that we get to bring a service to you this morning via the Internet, and it can be used for so many good things, but how many of us know that the Internet has also been used for much evil, and the enemy wants to take control of everything in our world and use it for his purposes? Listen, God knows how dangerous this world is to us he does not love this world because he knows it brings harm to his children it brings harm to humanity i keep on seeing these pictures that, and and these little videos that pop up um maybe um jose if you could bring up this picture here for us um I see these pictures of these kids playing with pythons or boa constrictors, or I saw this one dad who raises snakes like that and allowing his two-year-old to like sleep with the snake. I'm blown out of my mind. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world would these dads, this dad, allow his child to sleep with that which which just in a moment's time could strangle their child to death. You see, this is is what I was thinking, that to love the world is like a child loving a dangerous pet. And eventually the parent needs to choose between the two. Eventually the parent is going to need to choose, do I love the snake or do I love my child? because the two are completely incompatible with each other, eventually, again, in a moment's time, that snake is able to devour that child. And those of us who are parents, we know, listen, if it's going to harm my child, I cannot love it. I will get rid of it. You cannot, For you cannot love the snake and the child at the same time. Or oh, you can think you can. You might think you can. But eventually, you cannot love both. Listen, God chooses to love you and me. He cannot and will not love that which will destroy his children. But at the same time, we need to decide who are we going to love? What are we going to love? For a love for this world and a love for God are mutually exclusive. For as Jesus said, In in the Gospel of Matthew, he wrote, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, that is both God and the material things of this world. James wrote, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? For anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Again, John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so I'm reminded this morning, it is inconsistent to call oneself a follower of Jesus and yet to love that which is opposed to God and which God himself opposes. It is inconsistent to say you love God and yet love that which continually works against God, against against humanity, and against his kingdom. Thirdly, the Apostle John says it is inconsistent to be a follower of Jesus and yet love this world. Why? Because a love for this world represents a godless way of life. A godless way, that is, a, a, a life lived without God. And John gets a little more detailed when he speaks of the cravings of sinful man or the lust of the flesh. John is referring to all that is materialistic, egocentric, exploitive, and selfish. It is that part of us that seeks to feed self, the lust of the flesh, the the cravings of a sinful man. I just want to feed my, 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 my natural sinful desires. He speaks about the lust of the eyes. That is desire that is stimulated by what one sees. It is the tendency to be captivated by, by outward visible splendor and show. It is greed and desire that's aroused by seeing. Jesus says your eye is a lamp. And what you see as you focus in on it, you're going to begin to desire. It's a way of life that's caught in the trap. What I see, I, I want. And the more I see, the more I want. And he speaks about the boasting of what he has and does with the pride of life. And That is that person who brags and shows off all the stuff that they have or all that they've achieved. This is the person who's just really into their image and so they're constantly talking about themselves, their image, what they're doing, their, 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 their car, their house, their boat, their professional degrees, their exploits and so forth. And listen, even the person who doesn't have a lot can find ways to aggrandize themselves in front of others. You know what I mean? The bling, the clothes, the attitude and so forth. Life is focused on self and somehow getting everyone to worship him saying, oh man, do you see him? John says that none of this, these cravings, this lustfulness, this boasting, none of it comes from the father, but from the world. In other words, to live in this way shows that you are part of the world and its systems, that you do not have the heart of God, that you're living your life like a pagan, like a person who does not know God. You see, it's inconsistent, to call yourself a follower of Jesus, and then to live your life pursuing the very same things that people without God pursue. Well, can you take a moment just ask yourself, what is it you're pursuing today with your life? Is it the things of God's kingdom, or is it the things of this world? Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else we have need of will be added. And finally, this morning, John would say to us, it's inconsistent to call yourself a follower of Jesus and yet love this world. Why? Because this world is temporary, whereas God's kingdom and the things of God, they're all eternal. John reminds us that the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. See, God is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. What Jesus came to accomplish in our lives, in our world, is all about the eternal. You see, Jesus didn't come just to bring us a temporary solution to our sin and our pain, to our poverty and sickness. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we might be in this life healthy, wealthy, and wise and have some sort of worldly type of prosperity. For as Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Jesus came in order to bring to us the hope of eternity with God to lead us into an eternal kingdom. That's why John wrote in his gospel that God so loved the world that is the people of the world, that he gave his only son, that those who believe in him might have eternal or everlasting life. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that this world as we know it, all, all, all its systems and possessions and pleasures, all of it is temporary. That this present age is really nothing more than a corpse that is waiting to be burned. And one day it will all be gone. None of it will follow us into eternity. And thus when we live our lives loving this world, we are loving and investing ourselves into that which is temporary, that which one day will be totally gone. But when we invest ourselves into our relationship with Christ and into his kingdom, we are investing into that which will last forever. Again, John writes, the man who does the will of God lives forever. That is the person who lives life, their life, loving what God loves, doing what God would have them do, pursuing what God would have them pursue. That person gets to live with God forever. Oh, I remind us this morning that Jesus came and died, that we might experience eternal life, eternity with God as our Father. And and so to live our lives in love with this world, in love with that which is temporal, it is inconsistent with calling ourselves followers of Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, what have you allowed to capture your heart? What have you allowed to capture your heart or maybe put another way? Have you allowed the reality and the beauty of Jesus to capture your heart? Or have you been captivated by this world? You see, it's kind of like like this. And, Jose, if you could bring this next picture up for us. But I think about that groom, and I've done many, many weddings through the years. I can remember back to my own wedding just about 35 years ago, standing at that altar and watching as Kim came down the aisle. And every groom can can imagine this, can picture that moment when they stood there. And the groom is looking down the aisle, watching Ed as his bride walks towards him. And in that moment, in those few moments, in those few minutes, depending on how long that aisle is, that groom doesn't see any other women in the room, no matter how beautiful they may be. That groom doesn't crave anything or anyone else but her. He has no eyes for anyone, no eyes for anything else in that room. He's not looking around trying to figure out, oh, is there something else out there I want? Is there someone else out there I want? nor is he thinking about how great he, lo- he looks. Oh, man, he's w- looking at her, but he's thinking, man, do I look good today? No, no, no. All he sees, all he sees is his bride. He's attracted to one thing, to one person. For you see, his love for her in that moment, his love for her outshines anything and everything else around him. She has captured his heart I ask you again what have you allowed to capture your heart For You see that picture is what we're being called to today for if you've come to know the reality of Jesus then he and he alone will have captured the affections of your heart once you have come to know the reality and I'll say the beauty of Jesus nothing else can compare And I tend to think this morning that when John says, do not love the world, it is actually more a plea than it is a command. For it seems to me that he's pleading and asking, like, why would you love the world after you've experienced so much through Christ? How can you love the world after having come to know God and his great heart for you? How can you love the world after having come to know the grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus and the eternal life that he brings? See, this is not about legalism, setting up a a list of rules to keep myself away from the world or to prove to other people that, well, I don't love the world. Rather, this is about experiencing the reality of Christ to the point that he and he alone captures the affections of our heart, that he becomes the treasure of our hearts. Today, this morning, God is calling us to see him. To see Jesus in all of his beauty, to see Jesus for who he really is. He's calling us to keep our hearts in check, to make sure that our hearts are always leaning towards him and, and towards his kingdom. That we don't allow our hearts to wander back to the things from which he has saved us. That our lives are lived in such a way that they represent above all things that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our all our soul, with all our strength. And it means that we who are followers of Jesus, we keep our eyes focused on him and his glory and his beauty, that we, each one of us becomes like that groom looking down the aisle and we see Jesus and our hearts just lean towards him and towards nothing else and no one else. That we live our lives so in love with him that It would make absolutely no sense for us to once again fall in love with the world. I think about those words, this song, we're going to sing it in a moment. It say this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Right now, would you just begin to pray this morning saying, Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done for me, for the forgiveness, for the grace, for the mercy, for the love that you brought into my life, for the hope of eternal life. Some of us, maybe we need to recommit ourselves to following him, to loving him, Maybe some of us have wandered away. We've allowed the things of this world to begin to recapture our hearts. But today we say, Lord, would you forgive us? And we put our eyes on Jesus. And we begin to behold him in his glory and his grace. And we fall in love with him all over again. We allow him to capture our hearts. Maybe there's someone out there today that. As I mentioned earlier, you've not yet experienced the reality of Jesus, his reality becoming your reality. Today, he invites you to come to him, to know him. He invites you to come and receive his love, his mercy, his grace, forgiveness from sin, the hope of eternal life. If you'll but but ask him to forgive you, if you'll confess your sin, your need for him and put your faith in him and give your life to following him. Father in heaven, right now, I pray for maybe some who, for the very first time, they're giving their lives to you. They're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your life. I need the hope of eternal life. I need you to make me new today. Lord, I pray for each one, God, who's praying that kind of prayer. Jesus, that by your spirit you would step into their life to minister grace and mercy and love, to make each one completely new today and to give to them the salvation that you came to bring. Father, I pray for those who today would say they know in their hearts they've wandered away, they've allowed the things of this world to begin to capture their hearts anew. They've been trying to love you and love this world at the same time. Today, God, they recommit themselves to you. I pray, Lord, that you would just help each one. And for each one of us this morning, we say thank you, Jesus, for who you are, all that you've done for us. We thank you, Jesus, for being our light, uh, for being our salvation, for being our Savior. Jesus, we just declare that you are the treasure of our hearts today. That you are the treasure of our hearts today. And so we look to you today to pursue you and your kingdom and you alone. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.